interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is The Carrie Edelman Show. Welcome to The Carrie Edelman Show. I am so excited tonight as we have the amazingly talented comedian and author, Matt Balaker, joining us tonight. So it's going to be such an honor to have him on our show, and he's going to be added to many other phenomenal comedians that I've been fortunate enough to interview, and those include Tom Cotter, Jim Florentine, Don Jameson, Chris DiStefano, Joe Matteris, and Liz Russo, to name a few. So please check out everyone that I've interviewed on my podcast. Um, before I bring them on, I always like to do a brief introduction about the premise of my show, and then I'll do a nice introduction for Matt. A um, little bit about my background. Uh, I have a background in psychology. That's what I have my doctorate degree in. And I also have a passion for the entertainment industry. Um, I have a background as being a singer-songwriter and have done some other work. So I really wanted to combine my passion for interviewing and entertainment to bring unique and interesting people on where we could share their life story and talk about what it's like to be in their profession. Um, I'm sure Matt can attest to this. It's very hard uh, breaking into the entertainment industry in many different facets. So really what my show is about is supporting others, helping them get their names out there. Um, so on my show, you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. Something I want to keep in mind is that although I mentioned I have a background in psychology, my show is purely an entertainment show. I'm not doing therapy. I'm not doing any formal assessment. Um, there may be times that we use psychological terms and we'll discuss stuff in an educational format, but that would be the extent um, to, what we, to what we delve into in psychology, so to speak. So if you're tuning in, you can create a Block Talk Radio account by going to blocktalkradio.com. And uh, let's do a nice introduction for Matt, and then we'll bring him on. So as I mentioned, Matt is a comedian and an author. He lives in Southern California, and uh, he's a very interesting background. He works in investment funds and as a portfolio manager. He's also worked in movies as an actor, and he's been performing stand-up comedy for the past 15 years. He has some significant contributions and credits, which have included The Adam Carolla Show, Thick Skin with Jeff Ross, Conan O'Brien, and many others, to name a few, that we will go over tonight. Matt is coming on tonight to promote his book that he co-authored with Wayne Jones titled Greg Giraldo, A Comedian Story, which tells the life story for the first time of this late, great, amazingly talented uh, stand-up comedian who we definitely lost much too soon. So Matt's book goes into over 60 interviews that he conducted with Greg's friends, family, colleagues, and fans. So if you want to pick up a copy of the book, go to greggeraldobook.com. You can also follow um, the book that Matt has for many different pages on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Greg Geraldo Book. All right, so let me get my notes here. I did a lot of research on Matt, and let's bring him on. Hey, Matt, how are you? Hi, Carrie. Uh, I'm very impressed. Well, first off, thank you for the intro, and uh, very extensive research you've done, so thank you. <laughs> oh, well, we didn't even get into it yet, Matt, so this is just the beginning, uh -oh. but thank you. I appreciate it, um, and welcome. It's, it's truly a pleasure to have you on. I know we connected interestingly on LinkedIn, and like I said, I read about your background. I found just you personally to be really interesting, and then I'm also a huge fan of comedy, um, and the fact that you wrote this book on Greg is just, you know, it's great that you did that. Uh, thank you. 
Welcome. So again, I like to keep the interview open-ended. You know, I prepared a lot, but I also want to kind of take it in whatever direction you feel comfortable. So, you know, we'll start talking and we'll see where it goes. And if I can get everything in, I'd like to, that'll be great. And if not, that's fine too. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Carrie. All right. You're welcome. So let's see. Let's start from the beginning because, again, you have a really interesting upbringing and childhood. And, again, I want you also to, you know, feel comfortable sharing what what you want to share. I don't want to press you to talk about anything, <laughs> you know, that you don't feel comfortable with. Um, you know, I've, I've looked at some of the other interviews you did a little bit, and I didn't want to look too much at them because some of them it was already kind of delving into stuff I do. So I was like, I want to be – kind of like a blank slate a little bit. I don't have too much information about Matt. So I know that you were, um, <laughs> you were born on Halloween. Um, you know, you were born premature. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you know about that from what your mother shared with you and just some of the challenges and experiences that you had? Sure. Um, yeah. And, and thanks for, for looking into that. It, I, I was born, yeah, about eight weeks premature and, Obviously, I didn't know it at the time, but I do remember as a, as a little kid um, going in and out of physical therapy centers. It seemed like, gosh, mo- most days. And what happened, uh, it was just a way for me to ruin my older brother's Halloween. Um, but <laughs> my mom went into early labor, and I had blood in my lungs, I guess as a result yeah. of the labor. And I was rushed to the hospital uh, in, in Oceanside, California. And uh, I was there for a few weeks. I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't remember the details, but from what our, my yeah, parents told me, okay. I think I was on an incubator uh, for several days. But long story, slightly less long, um, I have minor cerebral palsy that affects the, the left side of my body. And okay. it's, a, um, it's a neurological disease. So it, it's sort of like, um, in a way, being paralyzed, but very slightly in my case. But it manifests in many different ways. And so... Uh, for the first, gosh, probably six, seven years of my life, I don't think anyone mm-hmm. really knew how, how it would turn out. I mean, I guess it's still open-ended. But, uh, right. uh, you know, you don't really know, like, how bad or, or benign it'll be. And so it, I felt like a lab rat in a lot of ways. But then, in, 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 I mean, that, that notwithstanding, I, and, I, and I kind of now see this better, I was also incredibly fortunate. I, I mean, just to have, have two parents have, you know, not only two parents, but two parents who like took active steps to help me acclimate. Right. And then Mm -hmm. if if my big, like uh, cross the bear is I limp a little and I I, I can't, you know, flip you off with my left hand. um, I'm very lucky. (laughs) And and I wouldn't, I would never flip you off, Terry. I meant like the figurative you. I know. Someone to cut me off. Yeah. Right. Right. No. And I think, you know, and I think, Fortunately for you, that's that's great to hear. Like you said, that it was mild. I mean, it's not fortunate that you had to experience that. But I think you make a really good point. And I think if people are listening um, to the interview, you know, a lot of diagnoses today, for example, you know, like I mentioned, I have a background in psychology. That's what I do for a living. I'm a psychologist. But, you know, I think it's so important. And you made an extremely important point is parents really taking it seriously and getting whatever assistance and help that is needed early on. Because that's when you can catch it. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the spectrum disorders and stuff. People say, you know, oh, I, I didn't notice stuff. And I think with the way the research is today and the way treatment is today, people do notice it a lot quicker than they might have back in, let's say, like the 70s or the 80s. Right, right. You know, there are many advancements have been made. And that's, it's funny you mention that because on one hand, I love, in hindsight, I love that they did it. But at the time, I wanted nothing more than to just like not go to these 
these classes or not go to the special sure. education uh, PT training seminars. I mean, I, I, I hated it, but it's, you know, it was the right thing to do. Right. And sure. No kid's going to want to do that. Um, was that, so, you know, as you were growing up, like you said, I'm sure in elementary school, tell us a little bit about, you know, what was that experience like for you um, outside of having this? Were you someone who was social? Did you like to interact with, interact, sorry, with kids? Was it something that was challenging for you because of some of these, you know, difficulties that you had that you might not have, like you said, really known what was going on at the time? Yeah, I, I think, and, and you can speak to this, I'm sure, but more in, in your, you know, more clinical assessments. I, I think I magnified it a lot more. It, it was a much bigger okay. deal to me than it was to anybody else. Um, okay. And, and, and I think I, I can appreciate that now, but I was very social. Um, and I think that was sort of my saving grace um, because, you know, when when you have any sort of physical limitation, even if it's something as simple as wearing glasses when you're five years mm-hmm. old, you know, you're, you're going to be made fun of. And it was good and bad. Like in hindsight, I'm really glad I grew up then and not now because I was, you know, teased, but I could tease people back. And I think it really made me a stronger person. And I, okay. some of the people that teased me initially became my best friends. And I, I would attribute the teasing uh, to having cerebral palsy or, or just, I was also very, I am very tall. Um, so it was like a little extra gawky. Um, but right. if I didn't have, they were, they were just made fun of something else. So, I mean, in a way it was like a, a, a way to bond. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then as I, as I got bigger, um, you know, I could play sports. Um, and I, I was, I was pretty good when I was younger, I, I was tall and that helped, especially in basketball, but I, I was definitely less good as, uh, as people matured and, and it took more than just height to be good at sports. Um, but I think having that, uh, camaraderie of, of playing sports, even if I wasn't great, was, was really helpful. And also, I, I wouldn't have admitted it maybe when I was 9 or 10, but I think I, I was very sensitive about my left hand in particular. And the thing is, I, my, my right hand was perfectly good. And I remember, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm embarrassed about, about this now, but, um, you know, being picked on, I think I was like fourth or fifth grade, and I, I just lost it on this kid. And I, I remember, like, pushing him, and I punched him, like, a few times in the face, like yo. I mean, obviously, I, I I'm not a heavyweight boxer, so there's no permanent damage. I mean, there's really no <laughs> right. damage. He, he punched me back. Right. Right. I, I I got sent to the principal's office, and it, it's one of those things. Like if it happened now, like I, I'm a dad, and I, you know, I, I would take it very mm-hmm. seriously if if one of my sons did that. But it was just like kind of letting off. You know, it was probably a combination of steam and just pent up kind of frustration. But really, after that, uh, you know, kind of when I became in sixth grade on. Um, I very much just mellowed out, and and, and I, I had a very good, incredibly happy um, childhood. You know, so obviously there's drama, that's but great. that's part of the fun of being a teenager. Right. And do you think, I mean, with this with this incident, with this kid you're referring to, was this kid kind of testing the limits with you? Like, was that what was going on, that you just lost it and you just said, you know, I can't take this anymore if he was bullying you or making fun of you or something? Probably, and, and it's like he definitely wasn't bullying me. Like I think I was probably the first to hit him, or maybe we pushed. I, oh, okay, I don't remember gotcha, so gotcha. Long okay. Ago. But but, right, but you know, right. but I think it was he, he was like making fun of me, and I was the first to make it physical, which boys and girls is not the right thing to do. I, I'm not condoning right, that, but it was just one of those things. Like there were a lot of things that people could say that I really didn't care about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was the one button that I had a harder time just letting go of 
and now I don't really care. You know, it's like, and also as an adult, people don't tease you as much for that. But I mean, it, it, it's not, you know, it's not something I'm, I'm afraid to talk about or, or if people like uh, bring it up, I don't, it doesn't bother me anymore. But, you know, when you're uh, growing up and you're naturally awkward anyway, I think that, that was just, that was my, my uh, um, I guess my triggering issue. <laughs> For lack of a better right, word. right, but it sounds like it sounds like from that experience. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of insight and you learned from that. Um, and you walked. It sounds like you walked away. I mean, it, kind it took of thirty years, but yeah, <laughs> it took a while. But gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Oh, so you talked about sports a little bit. So, and I saw that you um, have have a history of being a former Pop Warner star. You know, tell us a little bit about. Right. Starter, I, I, you know, I don't want to overstep my accolades, but yeah, I, right. I played Pop Warner for a few years um, back when you couldn't get concussions doing it, apparently. So I, I, right. you know, I, I skipped that. Which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure. I, I mean, I, it's, it's one of those things like, um, I, I think, you know, you, you know this better, but that so much is overblown, I would imagine, with like just scare tactics in general. And I had such good memories of playing football. That's not to say like mm-hmm. it's, it's not without risk. It certainly was. But um, I mean, I, I played for a few years from like gosh, fifth to eighth grade or thereabouts or fourth. I think I took okay. a year off or something, but, but I never played in high school and that was probably a blessing, but just some of the friendships I made and um, you know, it's kind of pathetic. It's probably the closest thing to military training I ever had. But, you know, okay. where, where you're, like, with other people and you have to, like, push your limits and you meet people with all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and, you know, all these years later, I, I still, like, remember, you know, uh, deflecting a pass and my friend Logan intercepted it and then we got a touchdown. And, so, like, I can't remember what happened two weeks ago, but, uh, right, but I mean, I think remember. it's just a testament to, to youth sports in general. It's, it's uh, mm-hmm. The bonds you make at that age are, are you know, they, they last a lifetime. Definitely. And they're really important, too. And I think that sets the stage for a lot of, you know, I want to talk a little bit as we go into the interview. I mean, despite these limitations and challenges you might have had growing up, I mean, you're an exceptionally bright person. You know, we'll get into talking about your your bachelor's and your MBA and, you know, talking about some of the ways that you overcome some of those. Because believe me, we all, as you know, everyone experiences their own <laughs> setbacks, so to speak, challenges. And But I think there's – I like the quality of looking at that term. I don't know if you've heard the term grit. You know, it's it's just a really oh, interesting yeah. concept. Like, you know, I love looking at what makes people resilient. Like, you know, someone in your situation with a different maybe background, family, whatever, you know, factors were there might have a totally different road than the one you took. And I think that's just so interesting to look at that. Um, right. Yeah. So sorry. Sorry if I bored you with that. <laughs> but I was trying to no, I was no, trying no. to say positive <laughs> positively for you, you know, that's a that's a really great and complimentary thing is that, that you have that resiliency and that ability to push forward despite challenges and things like that. Um so let's talk a little bit about, you know, as you were growing up with school and your family, tell me a little bit about your you know, your parents. What did what did they do for a living? Sure. Um, and yeah, that that is, is uh, an interesting story. Uh, like I, I'm, I'm here as a result of of, uh, of the Nazis. Um, my mom was uh, was born in, in a, a displaced persons camp, um, basically an internment camp uh, in Germany. Uh, she was um, ca- is Catholic. Was you know, and uh, and 
the Nazis invaded where they where her family lived in Germany, and so she was actually born. I don't know if it's um, in in this camp, and they were very fortunate because there there was some sponsors in America. I don't know the details, and unfortunately, many Mm -hmm. of her siblings have passed. But um, okay, they were able to like get out of you know (laughs) Nazi Germany and uh, moved to Chicago, and it was six of them, I think, in a one-bedroom apartment in Chicago, and it was a very Yugoslavian area. Uh, In fact, my grandma, who was here for probably 30 years, I don't think I ever learned a single word of English, but it it just shows how, like, her background was so much tougher than any any ailment I had to deal with. And then she married my dad, who was also from a – he had, like, a working-class background. He grew up in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't an immigrant, and he wasn't a refugee. Um, I think he was, he was, might have been the first from his family to go to college. And then he uh, went to the military and then uh, oh, started wow. practicing law. Um, and, and, and the military is what got him to uh, Camp Pendleton. It's a, it's a Marine base just north of San Diego in Southern California. And um, he, uh, he ended up, uh, you know, initially he was going to make a career out of the military. That didn't work out. And then so he, um, he practiced law full time. Uh, doing workers' comp. So if people got hurt at work, he would sure. um, he would represent them. And my mom um, was uh, uh, is was a, is a very good caretaker. So um, when we were born, she she didn't work uh, outside of the home, but you know she was always there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, making lunches every day, making breakfast. Uh, you know, uh, one you know one of one of the best people I know. So I, um, like w- one thing, it's. On one hand, I feel like a jerk and kind of a spoiled brat um, when I look back and how I, I overemphasized having cerebral palsy because I think it kind of masked all the blessings and all the fortunate things I had. And, and the two most fortunate things, I think, are my parents. Um, That's because, you know, wow. I, I, could, I, could, I could have had better genetics and, uh, and, you know, a crappy mom and dad, and you know, I could be in jail or, or dead or, you know, something else. Right, right. No, that's 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 an amazing way to reframe what you're talking about. And thank you for sharing that. That's so interesting with your your background and your mom and, and where she came from and your dad. And, yeah. Um, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have uh, two brothers. I, I'm in, I'm the middle child, which is probably why I go on stage so often. There's, there's probably some unresolved <laughs> issues that, that you could speak to. Right. Um, and what do your what do your brothers do for a living? Is is anyone else in the family in entertainment or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, my my older brother uh, runs a production company uh, called Cortula with his uh, much more talented wife Courtney, and uh, together they've they've produced uh, two feature films. One was uh, the documentary on comedy um, called Can We Take a Joke, and the second was an adaptation of a book uh, called Little Pink House um, based on Suzette Kilo. It's a uh, eminent domain case that went to the Supreme Court. And I think that was released a couple years ago. Um, wow. But my older brother, Ted, he helped. Uh, I, ran, I ran a comedy show for six years in Hollywood uh, at a place called Red Rock. And he would do okay. sound and help uh, with production to that. And then my younger brother is a big surfer and uh he works in like real estate maintenance, and uh, although he's not in entertainment, he's probably um, he's probably gone to more of my shows than uh, uh, than any relative I've had. So uh, he, he's a big supporter awesome. of comedy. 
That's great. No, that's great. Very interesting. Interesting backgrounds with both of them. Um, yeah, so don't forget to, when we get into your comedy, when I start to go down that road, definitely bring up the Red Rock thing. I want to hear a little bit about how you got involved in that because that sounds really cool. Um, okay, so yeah. you're, let's, let's say, you know, you're getting into high school and stuff like that. What age would you say, and we'll jump around a little bit because I want to bring in your, you know, your college and, you know, what you do for a living as well as the comedy. You know, how old would you say that you got interested in comedy? Was And tell us about, you know, a specific memory. Was there something you saw on TV or were exposed to that, yeah. you know, really fascinated you? Uh, evening at the Improv, uh, that fascinated me. And I was in elementary school at the time. And I remember, uh, I think I could watch it because it was, it was pretty clean. Um, but that's where I first saw, like, Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider. Nice. And, and a bunch uh-huh. of others I'm sure I've forgotten. But I remember um, just thinking it was entertaining. And, and I probably I was too, I guess, novice to probably get much of the, the humor. But my dad would record the episodes at night. You know, this is when we had VHS. And um, mm-hmm. if I was good or whatever, I would watch it when I got home from school. So that that, as a little kid, I remember watching that. And then... I remember doing like an anti-drug uh, play. I guess it was through okay. the Dare program, and uh-huh. um, I remember <laughs> I, I got to like pre- pretend smoke a cigarette. And for the play, I actually had a real cigarette, which I'm sure I'd be like expelled for today. Um, but I got to like <laughs> over-exaggerate taking a puff and like kind of acting it out. And it was, I think that was probably the first time I got a laugh on stage. Um, and I, I think I was, I, gosh, I'd probably third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there. I don't, okay. I don't remember the exact okay. grade. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was my first introduction to, I guess, performing and then watching comedy. Okay. okay. How about you? What was your, like, what, what was your first show? Or, or oh, my gosh. What, what, got well, you know, you, what you gave you the really, comedy book? We'll have, to, we'll have to talk off the air a little more because I don't want to take time away from okay, you. Fair enough. But long story short, I mean, I've always loved shows like Roseanne and Seinfeld, um, when I was when I was working on the side, just doing a lot of singing, singing songwriting, I actually started going out to comedy shows. And and one of the reasons it was interesting was because I was like, yeah, maybe this would be an interesting way to maybe network with people and meet different people in entertainment. Don't don't ask me why. Uh-huh. I have these very unique <laughs> ways of of doing stuff. And I went to a couple, and I just I was meeting these people, and I loved it. And I was just like, it became a huge coping skill, I think, for me. I work in corrections, and so I really uh-huh. um, that have a very deprecating type of sense of humor. I mean, I, I am kind of like a Larry David. Again, not, not the meanness that the Larry David shows in his shows, but just kind of that, <laughs> that, you know, that curiosity. Yeah, I like looking at minutia of everyday life and making fun of it, and I have no problem making fun of myself. And, you know, even people will say to me sometimes, you know, you're a little dark, and I'll be like, but that's how I cope. Like, that's kind of how I make sense of stuff. That's how I deal with being you're put like, down. I work if, with prisoners. Of course it'll be dark, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, uh, no, ironically, it, it's not even about the, the patients I work with. It's more about oh, okay. a lot of the experiences I've been through in my life, and I use a lot of humor to kind of just cope with that and make fun of it. It's hard to – I'd have <laughs> to go into more detail off the air. But, but, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. And from there, um, I started going to more shows. I met people. I then launched this podcast a handful of years ago and started inviting a lot of those people on my show to interview them. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how I got interested in going to stand up. Very cool. Yeah. And I was always a fan of Saturday Night Live growing up. Like you said, I, I mean, I love oh, Adam oh, yeah. Sandler me, and, me and Schneider and 
Yeah, all those people. I mean, still to this day, you know, Maya Rudolph, um, Tina Fey, you know, all those people are just amazing. Yeah. So uh, thank looked, you for even asking. in college, I, I look forward to uh, – oh, no problem. SNL, that was uh, – maybe it was a sign of, of an inactive social life, but that I, I would – Look forward to that probably more than than any other event during the week uh, when when eleven thirty came around. I'd always tune right. in. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. No, that was great. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So okay. So did you let's let's start to move forward. So did you ever? When did you do your first stand up show? And then that'll kind of help me gauge where we're going to go from there. Sure. The first time I did stand up, it was about 2000. Uh, it was in New York City, and it was it was off of a dare with a, a guy I was interning at Conan O'Brien with. And uh, what happened, Carrie, is we went. It was our last week or last couple weeks in, in New York City, and we went to this open mic just to scope it out. And it was kind of heartening to know that like these people weren't that good. And and I don't mean that as like a, as a pejorative. No, they, they were they were not they were they were, they were novice. Um, and, and I, I sat through the whole show, which God was, seemed like forever. Um, and then, you know, he, he said, all right, now you have to do it next week. And I was like, all right, well then so do you. So we had a week to prepare. And then, um, you know, fast forward a week and uh, uh, the other guy, Seth is nowhere to be found. And I was there with my, you know, material that I've been scribbling all week out. And I'm sure, you know, it wasn't great. And I'm sure a lot of it was terrible, but I ended up um, going last. And that was just a random draw. Cause they were, they were just pick names from the hat. Um, okay. But but I, I I did my time. I did five minutes, and it was it was cohesive. You know, it like kind of made sense. And the lady who booked it, <laughs> asked, or who ran it, not booked it, who ran it, was, she's like, oh, that was really good. You know, how long have you been doing stand up? I was like, oh, that was the the first time I ever did it. And you know, I don't know. Maybe she said that to all the girls, you know, so to speak. But I, I was just very like flattered by that. And then when I went back to Los Angeles uh, to to continue with school. Um, I sort of I didn't forget about stand up, but it was kind of on the back burner because initially it was just more something I wanted to try. And then I, I got mm-hmm. into improv comedy for a couple of years. Uh, living in LA, I was not far from the Groundling School and uh, Acme Theater, and then there are also a couple of other um, like uh, right. sketch and, and improv training grounds. It was, you know, my goal was to like be on SNL or write for for Saturday Night Live or or Mad TV or a show like that. Um, so, right. so for a few years, I, I focused on on uh, improv comedy. Okay, and just just to digress a little bit, when so two thousand, where are you now? Are you in high school? Are you out of high school? About you don't have to give your age, but just no, to give kind of an idea. No, 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 I'll give. I'm 24 years old now. No, I uh, I was in, <laughs> I graduated college in 2001, so I was still okay. in college. But I started at the Groundlings. I went to UCLA, and it was it's pretty close to um, a lot of these places, and then. Um, I started working, uh, and so I could still go to classes at night because it was near where I was working in Hollywood. And then um, I didn't start doing stand-up again till about 2003, 2002, 2003. Um, and then, then I okay. went, you know, pr- pretty consistently, kind of pretty much from there on out, I've, I've been doing stand-up. Okay, okay. And, and real quick, you said you were, you were interning at Conan? Yeah, yeah, my How did you uh, brother, yeah, tell us a little bit about how that came about? That's a good question. Um my older brother worked for John Stossel as a producer, um doing okay. a lot of research for their shows. And there was a guy who worked there who um he used to intern at Conan. And I, I knew I, I really wanted to do that because Conan came to UCLA to receive some uh, some comedy award and he mentioned that mm-hmm. he had, that they had internships. 
And after I mentioned that, I was like, oh, I got to do that. Like that, that'll be my, my foot in the door. I'll be an intern and then I'll, then I'll be a producer for the show. Or I'll be a head writer in you know, six months. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't really follow the plans. But uh, luckily this guy who worked with my brother gave me the best advice. He said, okay, write a cover letter and don't be funny in any way, shape, or form. Don't act like you'll contribute creatively and just say you're willing to do grunt work and help out and, mm-hmm. and basically be responsible. Um, so that was, that was what I did. And um, uh, the guy who ran the intern program was also like this receptionist and he, um, he called me and uh, luckily I was able to have a place to stay cause I, I had, um, I, I bought a ticket and I flew out there and that was my pitch. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I can do the research, I can do the work. And I actually got a pretty good, as far as internships go, I got a pretty good spot because I worked for segment producers doing research on guests. So I, I'd go through articles. Um, and this was before the internet was really that big. It was just slow. Right, so right. I'd go on Lexus and, uh, uh, and kind of compile like the, the, the pre-interviews for Conan. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was cool. a blast. I, I had a great time. And you were at, you were at um, USC when you were doing that? Uh, UCLA. The, uh, the, sorry, the US, I'm sorry, UCLA. Yeah. I know you went to U.S. Marshall for the NBA. I, I sorry did, about yeah. that. I, I, right, I okay, so UCLA, later, yeah. you were, what year were you when you went to Conan? Uh, 2000. I think it was 99, 2000-ish, uh, thereabouts. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. And then while you're at doing your bachelor's degree, you were studying economics, correct? And yeah, just tell us, yeah, let's yeah, bounce around. Just, tell us a little bit about you know, what were you looking to get into in terms of career-wise, and why did you choose that area of study? <laughs> uh, my senior year, or when I, how was it junior or senior year where you have to put your major? I know you apply for colleges when you're a junior, but I remember as a senior in high school asking some people, like, uh, what are some interesting majors that I didn't have a class about? And uh, I didn't study economics in high school, and I was good at math but not great. And I was okay. naturally more into I was naturally more into English, um, but my older brother was an English and poli sci major, so I definitely didn't want to do either of those because I didn't want to look like I was copying him. Um, okay. So I, I thought, oh well, I'll do economics. You'll you'll learn about money, and that's always, you know, it's always something you need. Mm-hmm. So I I didn't go into it so much as like a passion, but I I, I really enjoy it, and I still do. I, I don't like love it, but I I I definitely enjoy learning about it and applying it in certain ways. Okay. And, and again, when you were doing your, your BA, what did you want to get into? Like, again, we'll talk a little bit about investment funds and portfolio management and stuff like that, which is outside of my area of expertise by all means. But um, was that what you wanted to go into? Did you want to become an accountant or what, what did you oh, maybe I don't, want I don't to do with it? I know I didn't want to be an accountant. I knew like the guys who did investment banking got like better job offers and like girls didn't okay. like them more and stuff like that. So <laughs> Okay. I, I sort of gravitated to that, but uh-huh. in hindsight, I, 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 I didn't like that. Um, I mean, I did some interviews. I even worked at a small investment bank very briefly and, and, and kind of hated it. But what I do like and, and still to this day are, are like uh, entrepreneurship and investing mm-hmm. in kind of earlier stage companies and, 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 and like helping produce companies. And uh, okay. fortunately, I was, I, was, I was able kind of by luck to get involved with this fund. It was actually a small hedge fund. Uh, when after I graduated, that the the people who ran the fund owned the Los Angeles Film School. So to me, it was like this perfect blend of 
uh, you know, mm-hmm. something I could do to make some money. But also, I, I never really thought, even though, like, for, uh, after I was at Conan, I saw how, how hard it was to actually get a writing gig and how little, you know, outside of Conan, it's really hard to make a living. So I think I was kind of discouraged from doing it professionally. I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to buy groceries if I just do stand-up. You know, I, I got to do something. Right. And so that's, right. that's why I gravitated towards the investments. And then, then it turned out that, that I really enjoyed it. And in fact, my first few years of, of having like a quote unquote real job, um, I probably enjoyed working more then than I ever had just because it was, it was really exciting. And I was, a, I was around people that were very entrepreneurial and uh, mm-hmm. it was just a great learning experience for me. And this is like after your bachelor's, you're saying after you graduated with the BA. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was okay. in 2000. And then it was, okay. it was perfect because stand-up is a, is a nighttime thing. So I mm-hmm. could work during the day. And, and I'd work pretty late because I was single and, you know, didn't have a very active social life. So I'd, I'd, go to, I'd work late and then I would, you know, go to comedy classes or, and then I'd get into stand-up. And then after I started doing more stand-up gigs, you kind of meet people in the scene. And, uh, and that's what I did. So um, for several years, cool. that, that's, that's what I, I, I kind of split time between having a quote-unquote real job. But I actually liked my, I liked my day job. In fact, I never wanted to leave it till I sort of had to. And what happened that you had to leave the day job, if you know what I'm asking? No, no, no. Uh, a couple, like, 2008 happened, and um, I, I, I thought the company I was going to work for just wouldn't last because things were going so great in the early 2000s, and then this massive recession hit. And okay. So I, I kind of, um, that's when I applied to business school, um, and also I had a girlfriend that who's now my wife, but we got pretty, you know, serious around that time, and I remember just thinking, okay. like, crap, like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I was doing stand-up, but not enough to make a living at it. Um, right. And then uh, I, so I, the, the real catalyst was, was the, um, the recession. The recession, um, that's right. That's what got me into to do business school. And then, then later when I ended up doing stand-up more full-time, it was because I was working at a different fund, and it just had to shut down because my, my boss's wife um, had terminal cancer. And obviously his priorities oh, were elsewhere. So I went from right. uh, from making a good money to kind of being a professional comedian, which is not really how right. I planned it. It was just like, <laughs> that's kind of what I ended up doing. Um, right, and, right. Uh, so by professional comedian, I probably made less than minimum wage, but <laughs> it, was, it was the only oh, source of income I had for a while. Oh, so, and, and real quick, just to, so you, you have a period of time off, like you said, you're working, you're enjoying what you're doing, you're doing some stand-up at night. And then you decide to apply to the the MBA, right? Was there a right. reason you decided to get the MBA? Was did you feel that you needed that advanced <laughs> degree? No, no, I'm just curious. Yeah, because I was just I, I know, know I, I'm, I'm like, laughing because I want, I wonder too. Like, um, oh okay. <laughs> you know, if I had to do it over, if I had to do it over again, I don't know if I would have. Um, okay. But I remember I, I was I was running a comedy show and there was this guy Brad Wallach, who was a writer and guest on uh, Chelsea Lately. And oh, cool. he just seemed to kind of like have his stuff together. And he had just graduated from USC. And he mentioned that he took this class uh, that was offered at CAA, the big agency. And I was like, oh, well, may- maybe that'll be my way of kind of parlaying my more, you know, business minded mm-hmm. work into something in stand up. Because just getting a mic and performing, I mean, there are a few people that make a living doing it. Um, right, but it's 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 very rare. It's almost like being a professional athlete. So I was like, you know, may, maybe right. that'll be my my road in. And 
and and so I did it. And I I, I, um, I took a lot of entertainment classes, including one that was at CAA, and and that did help open some doors. But I think I got more doors opened just by performing and, and kind of hanging out and uh, and doing side projects. So that that, that right. was my initial. Re- that's why I laughed when you asked the question. Okay. Like, was it worth it? I I don't know. I spent a lot of money. Um, and I guess I, I, I do have the degree, and, and I met I met some great friends, but it's hard to say was it was really worth the money. I, I don't know. Buy gotcha. enough books, gotcha. and maybe it will be. <laughs> now, right now, are you working comedy full time, or are you also doing some investment fund portfolio I, management? I have. Work? I've been really lucky the last year or so, uh, where I've been. I, I, I work at home, uh, but I've been consulting for a cannabis company, which um, oh, wow. a lot of comics are, are big into weed, and uh, it's been a fun <laughs> industry. And so I, I help the companies find um, you know, acquisition targets, but a lot, of, a lot of it is just I put people in touch with other people, and I have a pretty mm-hmm. broad network of folks, and um, I, I love doing that. And it's, it's great because a lot of my comedy contacts have helped <laughs> And then, oh, right. and conversely, right. some of my business, like I, I remember I, I did the um, this podcast at the Comedy Cellar, and the owner of the Comedy Cellar was chatting with me afterwards about a, a little bit about cannabis companies, but also investing in general. So it's a really nice kind of cross pollination yeah, of, over- of, of, of what I've done. No, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap, think, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's actually really smart on your end because like you said like I joked around with you you know I was going out to comedy shows kind of as a weird way to network when I was really really into music and I still do it on the side but not as much as I was and it was kind of a weird thing I was doing but you know I kind of by doing that stumbled upon you know this interest in in watching stand-up and just yeah and so I think it's cool that you you had this passion for comedy and you're like yeah maybe if I get business degree in this area that'll help me kind of network and parlay me into other things so I think that's great thank you well now, now I feel yeah. better about my choice so I appreciate it <laughs> well I don't know how much but yeah no I think it's I, I don't know I think you know I think sometimes things happen for a reason in, in some way or another so yeah no it's great though so yeah how would you when you first started writing comedy and then let's get into we're going to get into Greg shortly because I don't want to um, again, I really wanted to do a lot of background on you, and of course, I want to promote the book. But you know, when you start writing comedy, what was your inspiration in terms of what were some of the comedians you liked? You know, are you a person like I said? I like kind of that observational humor, like you know, looking at minutia and kind of making it you know right. absurd and ludicrous. You know, what would you say like your style is, and what are some of the things that you like to write about? And I, I was able to see the um, what's it called, the reel you sent me, and it was great. And I would just I'll comment just so you know that I watched it. A couple of the things I really liked Thank you. was, yeah, the um, your kids growing up enough so that they don't need the uh, emotional support animals. That was great. That bit you did. Um, Thank you. Right. Okay. Okay. I wanted to make sure. <laughs> and then you were talking no, no, about some no, endangered. Thank you for thank you for watching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was. It was yeah, I mean, my it was my, my style has 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 hopefully matured. I think initially it was just. Uh, I, my jokes were about this girl who dumped me, and it was, it was kind of a cathartic <laughs> outlet. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, but I, 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 I think a lot of what I do now is like heightened reality, like stuff that's happened either to me or someone mm-hmm. close to me. And um, I, I'd like to keep it 
I'd say I do a lot of like newsy stuff, but I don't really do a lot of political. It's just it's just not okay. my. Um, I just sure. don't like it uh, that that right. much. So I, I I'd I'd like to think my 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 style would be like a, um, you know, re- relatable but but unexpected. That that would that would be. Uh, and hopefully, okay. what I do in five years is different than what I'm doing now. Um, and when I first started, I, I, I tried to be a lot more edgy. You know, I tried to have a lot more like whoa kind of um bits, right, right which you know when, when you're 23 maybe that suits you better um but um my, my first real foray into writing was was actually on a book that i was working on with my brother it was called redefining white trash uh new stereotypes redefining <laughs> okay. white trash and, and and we actually got some decent traction it was funny i was like 19 and i had an eight a literary agent then um and we we had some um you know, would be offers I thought in, in place to write this and, and it didn't materialize, but it, it was kind of like an onion esque um, website and book. Okay. Okay. And it was before the, is before the onion. So they totally ripped us off is, is my point. <laughs> um, no, they, they're, right. they're great, but that was, that was kind of the style. And, and I don't know if my stand up has kind of ch- sprung from that, but, but I, I think um, character driven, um, hopefully somewhat intelligent, uh, comedy that that isn't preachy that that would be right uh, you know that would be my ideal all right cool yeah I like the term that you use heightened reality I never I never really heard that but again I'm not that well versed in the, the comedy world so to speak so but I like the way you use that term to describe what you do um I think that does capture it so no it's great, well, I, it's I, great. I, I mean and and, and Geraldo did this but I think a lot of times like the best comedy comes from some truth but if you say like mm-hmm. oh uh I was like my my son is kind of uh, unathletic. That's not as funny if you say like you know my you know my son can't pick up a paperweight or something. Like you have to like exaggerate a little bit to, right. to make it, create higher stakes. Um, right. And I, right. And I think that's probably part of just like you know not not just comedy writing but even in drama. You know you you have to like have have heightened stakes to to to, to make like the the ups and downs more dramatic. Mhm. No, definitely, definitely. I mean, and congratulations. I know you've been doing it now for 15 years, so that is that is a Thank huge you. congrats <laughs> to you. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you very that's much. That's great. So let's uh, and again, we can still kind of bounce around back and forth. So let's get into talking about this this book that you put together. Um, you know, on Greg Geraldo. So you know. You evidently did you ever meet Greg Geraldo? Did you ever watch him perform live? Yes, I, I met him a couple okay. times, um, but only like briefly. Like one time, I was at the Irvine Improv, and I purchased uh, I think it was um, Midlife Vices. It was about a year before he passed, and uh, okay. I did I saw him on the Insomniac tour in LA, and that's the, the show he did with David Tell and Dane Cook. And I mm-hmm. was a huge, and I still am a huge, tough crowd with Colin Quinn fan. Um, so I was, I was a big admirer of him. And I, although I met him, I, I was certainly not like friends with him. Um, okay. But I think, I think it's maybe that's why I had this desire to learn more about him. Okay. Okay. And again, I mean, I think what was really interesting to learn about you is that you know when you started to do some research on Greg. You know, fortunately for you, there wasn't a lot out there. I mean, unfortunately, there should have been more, considering, you know, this this guy, just a little bit about his background in terms of, again, I watched some of the stand-up stuff. It's it's great. I really enjoyed it. But I never had a chance to see this guy perform live. But, 
as we know, I mean, he went to Ivy League schools, Columbia, where he earned his BA, Harvard Law School, where he practiced for, you know, I guess about a year, maybe even less. And maybe you can comment on this. Something interesting I read about him was that he had done some pro bono work for our, you know, roast master Jeff Ross, who is, you know, he's, he's great. Um, because Jeff, I guess, was accused at some point, I guess, at a show of inciting a riot because some some audience member pulled out a toy gun. And, and this, yeah, I mean, again, yeah. I don't know if you know about this, but, you know, Greg never did litigation in court. And he was going to, I guess, represent Jeff. And fortunately, he didn't because I guess Jeff was looking at some serious charges in this, uh, this incident. Oh, gosh. That yeah. So, yeah, yeah go, like, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I didn't get, we didn't cover this in the book, but I, I since learned more about it afterwards. Um, and Jeff Ross gave me some background on it. Uh, he was doing a show, and the guy who does the voice of um, is it Mulder, he's a pretty famous voiceover actor. I'm, unfortunately, I'm blanking on his name. But okay. he he was in the audience or something, and they were obviously friends. And, and I think Jeff Ross, like, purposely called him out or like like hit him or you know did did some sort of like right. kind of joshing around for lack of a better word mm-hmm. and then like this guy took it seriously and like um he said i have a oh no one of them said i have a gun like jeff heard this guy and then someone else was like heard you know took it serious you know you, and don't, kids don't joke about having a gun and then this audience right. member i think swung the base of the microphone or something to like you know protect himself and then they're like, you know, oh shit, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a gun. And so long story short, it like escalated into like, right. I don't know, I don't know if, 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 I don't think a riot actually happened, but they had to clear out the show. And uh, <laughs> I guess Jeff Ross was looking at some pretty serious charges. And uh, wow. the only lawyer he knew was, was Greg Geraldo. Like and Greg. apparently Geraldo <laughs> uh, was like, uh, you know, I, I can't do this to the judge and kind of talked his way out of it. And, you know, maybe it wasn't just they, – they may have not had enough proof anyway or evidence, but it apparently right. it was dropped. But, um, yeah, so, oh. you know, maybe that would have derailed uh, Jeffrey Ross's roasting career somewhat if he, if he had to do time. Right, right. But yeah, it was just interesting to see that the little bit of time that, you know, Greg was involved in law, which absolutely from what I read was that, you know, it wasn't his passion. It wasn't his thing. Um, and then he breaks into, you know, doing comedy and just having some major success. Um, and then unfortunately his, you know, his substance use, his mental health issues and his downfall, which was just, you know, so sad. Um, oh, yeah. so, yeah, yeah. So, I know. And we, let's talk a little bit about that too, as we talk about him, cause that's something I, with my background that I'm actually really passionate about and interesting, interested in is just, you know, trying to destigmatize you know, in the entertainment industry, you know, there's, it's wrought with people that have substance abuse issues and mental health issues. And, you know, I, I see these people and I look up to them and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so talented. And people think, you know, if you have all the money in the world and all the talent that then you're not going to have these issues, which, you know, it's not true. Um, these yeah. are things people can't no. control, but hopefully there's, you know, treatment is out there and, you know, it's something I really feel strongly about just people getting the help that they need and the support that they need. Um, I, I'm I'm so. glad, yeah, because I going going into this book, um, I, I knew next to nothing about mental health and and mental health disorders, and mm-hmm. if anything, I thought it's something that was overblown or maybe like just not as big of a deal 
and I, I've kind of done a 180 um, and, and just realized how debilitating it, it is and, and how many forms mm-hmm. it takes. Um, and at least, and now we can talk about it and, um, you know, do something about it. And, 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 you know, the first step is always talking about it. And it's like, if someone, um, in fact, one of Greg's friends said this, you know, if, if, uh, if he had died of cancer, it would have been a very different story than if he, as he did die, it was, it was a result of drug overdose, but was really the, right. the cause behind it was, was mental health. And he, his friend said, to me, it's no different than if he was, you know, how he died versus if he had cancer and passed away that way. But to how so many people would have viewed it, it is, it is really right. You know, it's quite a contrast. Right. It's in how an, people will no, it's, it. it's really, it's really unfortunate because these, these, as you, as you're learning about, especially the substance use and the mental health, when it's combined, I mean, that, that's an even bigger storm, so to speak. You know what I mean? Because that substance abuse stuff can exacerbate stuff. It can make stuff worse. People are using it, as you know, to mask symptoms and, and try to manage the symptoms that they don't know how to deal with. So, yeah, on so many different levels. But, yeah, I just I hate when I see, like you said, like someone has an accidental overdose and it's, you know, they're blamed for it. And it's like, no, I mean, right. like, why did you do yeah, that? Are they are they partly involved in it? Absolutely. But it's also a bigger issue than just, you know, stigmatizing them and saying it's it's totally their fault and they could have had control over it. They yeah. can't. Um, no. So so as you real quick and we'll we'll delve into the stuff a little bit if it comes up, but you're doing some research. And, and so what particularly made you want to, you know, get into writing a book on Greg? Uh, yeah, I, my uh, my wife got knocked up again with with our with our second, and I had to <laughs> okay. temporarily you know um, get a real job. And I, I was doing more like traditional investment management for, for for not a long time, but I was on break, and uh, um, I, I was sort of sad because I was doing stand up, but I just thought like God, maybe maybe this will be it. Like maybe I'll kind of have to throw in the towel because I have another baby on the way and. We got mm-hmm. a lot of bills, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to, like, have a distraction, and I went on Amazon, and I did a search for Greg Gualdo book because um, I wanted to read about him, and and there wasn't one, and that was my aha moment. Like, huh. I, you know, I was sitting there at mm-hmm. my desk. I was like, hmm, I have some time, you know, and I'm, you know, a pretty good researcher, and obviously I have the passion for learning about Greg. Uh, I'm going to write a book. So that was my impetus to start the project. Okay. Okay. So, and as you get this ball rolling, um, you know, I know that you had evidently contacted Jesse Joyce, who was, again, these, I'm not familiar, you know, totally with every single person that, you know, just some little research I did. (laughs) Is that the first person that you contacted um, to try to get this ball rolling? And then a woman also named Carrots Foster? Foster. Yeah, it was, um, Jesse was one of the first people I talked to, but Karis, I think, was the first, actually the first person, uh, because I knew her really well from doing stand-up um, mm-hmm. in L.A., and I also knew through Facebook that she was friends, or at least connected to uh, Rick Dorfman, who I knew was uh, Greg Giraldo's agent. I'm sorry, Greg Giraldo's okay. manager uh, for, for a long time, and I, I didn't know Rick Dorfman at all, so I wanted to contact Karis to put me in touch with him. And, you know, as, as I learned from, from doing this process, like one, you open one door, then you have to open up seven or eight more. So I, I knew right. Jesse a little bit and I, I emailed him, but um, it was really Kara that opened the door to Rick Dorfman 
and that was one of my first interviews. And then uh, he introduced me to uh, Marianne Geraldo, who was one of the second interviews I did. And, and it's, I don't necessarily remember, like, the specific order, but those yeah, three okay. were, 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 were kind of like the main ones that then got the ball rolling for the others. That's great. So, I mean, yeah, right, they were, like, instrumental in this whole process, you know, coming to fruition, so to speak. Um, so you Absolutely. start interviewing people. And how many, let's, let's bring in a little bit, you know, tell us a little bit about just some bits and pieces. I know we don't want to give the whole book away because we want people to purchase it, but you know, what was something interesting that you learned from interviewing Rick Dorfman and, and his, you know, second wife, Marianne about him that, you know, that you can, that stood out to you. If you, again, if sure. you can remember, no, I know you there's, did. There's, there's, there's lots, but I mean, one thing with uh, Rick Dorfman, I just thought it was pretty funny how uh, he, he uh, represented when when he did the Montreal Comedy Festival, which opened lots of doors in terms of television for Greg. But they would make up these games that, like, if if someone from ABC was talking to them, they would say, "Oh, I, uh, you know, someone from CBS is, is, is needs to meet with me in five minutes. We got to wrap this up." So they would kind of just fabricate these stories about how right. like, in demand they were, and and it was very much like a <laughs> like a fake it till you make it <laughs> kind right. of thing. And and it was and it was funny because like Greg up until that like was was not show busy at all, and uh, I just thought that that was pretty eye opening that like yeah Hollywood in many ways is as is as tacky and sleazy as as people make it out to be, and then with um with Marianne one thing that uh, was was quite illuminating was she was the first to really drill down that uh, his mental health and his drug abuse wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't just like an act, and, and obviously, like I didn't, I never thought it was an act, but right. you kind of, I'd watch, I'd watch his stand up and be like, oh, he, he's so well put together, and he, he seems in many ways sober, like you know, he, he wasn't like a uh, Sam Kinison type, or so, you know, where where right. I was like, oh yeah, I, I could see him really being like a, a partier, but but then it, it made me feel like a jerk in a way because I, I started this project because I was such a fan of Greg. And I did it, and I still do, you know, I'm happy I did it as, as a way to preserve his legacy. But I, mm-hmm. I think the real hero, and in, in at least the, the and, and, you know, there's not a book about her, but was, was Marianne. Because, you know, while there's people like me celebrating Greg's comedy, she talked to me about some of the, the downfalls about being married to someone who's an active addict. Right. And how she, um, in some ways, enabled them, but also did such a great job of, of raising their three kids. And I, I was fortunate enough to mm-hmm. meet the kids uh, th- this year. And, uh, you know, it's always like a lot of times it's like the heroes behind the scenes. And and, yeah. and she opened up and, and she really had nothing to gain and, and potentially a lot to lose because, you know, she was, she was living her life and doing well in New York. And, and I'm some stranger who um, wants to write a book about her deceased husband. And, and they didn't, you know, right. they didn't end on the best of terms. And, and and but but just just how candid and how um, open she was with me, uh, it really framed how he did the book because I, I think it made it much more of a real depiction of his life. And and while we mm-hmm. celebrate his accomplishments, we also shed light on his, um, for lack of a better word, deficiencies and, and 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 struggles. And and I think it made it a lot more human. But it also it just made me appreciate her and and the, like people who deal with loved ones who have. Right. mental health issues like and especially if they're talented people are always like oh look how how talented she is or look how great of an artist he is it's like well look at right. the person who's making lunches in the morning or who's who's doing the job that maybe she doesn't want to do yeah. because 
she's putting food on the table and and like obviously I'm I'm kind of going on a tangent but I, I think no, there's fine. so many people no, like no. that 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 you know yeah. I, I I wish we could celebrate them <laughs> as well right no that's I think that's a really really good point to make and that's wonderful that like you said she opened up to you and there was nothing necessarily for her to gain but but I think on some level and I don't know I mean I'm just hypothesizing and extrapolating and this could mean nothing but you know, despite, like you said, they didn't end on good terms, she evidently, you know, deeply cared about him. And I'm sure the oh, book yeah. meant a lot. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure you would say that too. But, you know, I'm sure even if, you know, consciously she didn't really maybe say that, you know, evidently she wanted his legacy to be out there and, and you had the honor of, you know, putting this out there. And that's that's wonderful. Yeah, and, and, and she and Rick, actually one thing that stick out is, Initially, it's like, okay, we'll talk for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. I, I, I wanted to be respectful of their time, but mm-hmm. inevitably, the interviews would go a lot longer. And many of them, I think, I know in Rick's case, he was tearing up, um, and Marianne, yeah. too, a little bit. And, and it was like one of those things, I know they were reluctant initially, but I think it was a bit of a cathartic outlet as well mm-hmm. because they got to say things that had probably been pent up for a few years, Um and, and I guess one thing I did pretty well initially was was shut up and listen and uh, just kind of let them talk and 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 um, I would steer the conversation somewhat. But a lot of times you get the the best information by just being an active listener. Absolutely. Like yep. <laughs> like me, you said. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. But that that is true. And you know, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan, for example. And people sometimes, I mean, I love his interviews and. You know, I always have had my own style, but I do similar things. I want to, I'm curious about the person I'm interviewing. Like, that's what, that's what it's all about. Um, and even sometimes people will comment that he, you know, because he'll jump the gun and say, well, what about this and what about that? And, and it's great that he's doing that. But sometimes when, like you said, you just kind of let people breathe and you let the interview flow, that's when the stuff, like free association, it just kind of comes out. So thank you, though. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, <laughs> so with this book, I mean, this took you about, what, about, I guess, five-ish years to write, four and a half? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, about um, four and a half to write. Um, and then there's there's the whole, like, marketing and putting it together and editing and yeah. cataloging. And, and um, oh my. you know, I, I, I want to give a well-deserved shout-out to uh, the co-author Wayne Jones. And, and he and I connected uh, via Kickstarter because after a few months of doing interviews, gosh, actually about okay. six months of doing interviews, I realized the project was a lot bigger than I ever guessed it would be. Right. Um, and I needed okay. help and uh, I needed, I needed money too. Um, so I raised a few thousand bucks on Kickstarter, but I think the the more valuable outcome is one of the backers was Wayne Jones. And he is an academic librarian who's published books before and who also happened to be a huge wow. Geraldo fan. And I just oh have no gosh. idea how much of a pain it is to, um, because it's, it's, it's nonfiction um, just document everything and obviously we have to get lawyers involved and there's just all this other kind of like accounting right. for lack of a better word that you have to do that was, that was really just tedious and um, and so like just labor intensive and, and right. I, I can't imagine doing it without him so it was it was really helpful um, yeah because I was to, I to wanted I was going to bring him up I have him actually right here now in the notes and I was going to say yeah how did you how did you meet this individual and I I couldn't find a ton on him but I did find like you said I knew he was 
you know, someone who worked in, I guess he's, is he in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. He's on yeah. Uh, uh, Eastern Canada. Um, okay. Gosh, I'm, yeah. He, he, he works in academics. So, um, right. Yeah. Has, I saw that. He has a lot of time so, to, to read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but wow. Did the stars align for you? That was, you know, amazing that this guy who was just basically, right. He was just putting some money into it. And then you guys somehow started a conversation. Yeah, and and it's funny because like uh, we started a conversation, and then I at, at that point I don't know if I publicly said it on Kickstarter or maybe I just told the people, but I, I I mentioned that I wanted someone to co-author it with me, uh, specifically someone who actually completed a book because I'd written projects but never books before, and uh, and, and so when uh, when he and I started chatting, I, I floated the idea out to him, and there were some other people I talked to, but what really like pushed the needle in, in Wayne's direction was he was just so passionate about um, Greg Giraldo and also Greg, I could right. tell he really wanted he really wanted to do it and, and when I've hired mm-hmm. people for projects or sometimes when I've collaborated it's I just kind of go with like I can tell who wants it the most and, and even if they right. don't have as much experience as someone else I think there's a lot to be said for just that passion Absolutely and I think that is such an important point you make and you know, I wish, I wish, you know, whoever's listening and I hope, you know, please, when we're done, um, by all means, share the podcast and I'll send you the link and stuff for it. But I think, yeah, I think even, yeah, as what you're saying, and I think that is so relevant and I wish people could take that to heart. You know, it's not always the people that have the million views and this, that, and the other. Unfortunately, those people probably don't even (laughs) have the time, but it is the people, like you said, that, that have this passion and have this drive and, even when I started getting involved in music years ago, you know, what I noticed over time was, was actually the extremely talented people were often the most crazy. Um, you couldn't get them to show up on time, you know, and no, seriously though, Matt. And then what I would learn along the way was right. There were these people that were, you know, probably average, even a little better than average, but I knew because they had that drive and that motivation, they're going to get better because they're going to work at it, Yeah. you know, and they're going to, and they're going right. to be easier to manage and deal with. And, so, yeah, I really wish people would also, you know, consider that stuff, um, you know, when they're when they're going into whatever it is they're going into. There's so much more than just, you know, the stats and the numbers and the likes and this and that. Um, so, no, I think that's a really relevant Amen. point <laughs> to make. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Thank you. I mean, congrats. Congrats to you. Congrats to uh, Wayne. And um, how did you get Colin Quinn to do the, the forward for it? Nagging for for several years. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> not well. Not so, exactly. You, he was one of okay. the, he was one of the first interviews we did, and okay. um, I, I mean this in all sincerity. He's like a legitimately wonderful person, and in, in mm-hmm. that like he is very helpful to people who can't necessarily help him. And I think that's like a very effective way of, for lack of a better word, judging character. Um, mm-hmm because he was incredibly gracious with his time initially. And I, I had a few follow-up interviews with him and uh, the process just took longer than I thought. And then, um, gosh, after a few years in, I, uh, he had a heart attack or something. And like, I think I, okay. I, I asked him if he would be, if he'd be willing to do a forward before that. And, and he did. And he said, yes. Right. And then he did it. I remember after his heart attack, I was like, uh, I hope you're doing well, by the way, do you still want to write work? <laughs> Can you still write the floor? <laughs> oh, gosh, right, and, right. And, and he did. And I, I, I think that, that just lent a lot of credibility to it. And also, Absolutely. he was like a celebrity 
who was also very close with Greg. I mean, there are also there are lots of celebrities who knew him, but he mm-hmm. was there, um, you know, when when the cameras were off, and uh, he I, through through interviews for Greg, I learned uh, more about Colin Quinn, and apparently, like he would, he's the type he would go see some guy's band. And, uh, you know, some guy who would be, like, working at the comedy cellar, like, like someone not famous at all. Right. And, and he would go support his band. And, or, or he'd go, like, when people were, like, you know, in the dumps or, or dealing with their own issues, you know, he'd be the one who would bring them food and, like, help them out, um, you know. So I don't totally want to canonize him. I'm sure, you know, he's done a lot of other stuff. But, but he, um, you know, for, for my, in my estimation, he's, he's, a, he's a damn good person. That's and and cool. um, I was That's honored great. to do the four with you. Very cool. And I think talking about, you know, and, and I know we talked a little bit about just Greg and, you know, his exceptional talent and some of the struggles he had. But, you know, what I also read, and I want you to comment on this, was it sounded like Greg was also this, you know, type of individual who really didn't have an ego, um, enjoyed talking to people, was supportive, you know, would give constructive feedback to people. And again, you don't, you don't see that in many areas of, of entertainment, again, whether it's comedy, TV, writing, music. So, you know, if you could comment something about his character, because it sounded like he really had yeah. this nice disposition. Right. I mean, you, 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 you said it very succinctly. Like, he was a very willing mentor. And um, mm-hmm. Jesse Joyce was someone who, who benefited from that mentorship. And, I, like, one anecdote was um, Jesse – was incredibly talented. It was, a, it was a great roast writer, and he would write a lot of Greg's roast jokes. Um, and there was a party, a rap party after one of the, the roasts, and Greg Geraldo made a, a point to let, uh, you know, the movers and shakers know that it was Jesse that had a big hand in writing those. And that was an example of something that, that didn't necessarily help Greg. In fact, it may have hurt him uh, to mm-hmm. some. I mean, you, I, I think a mature person would say, no, that, that shows he's He's, uh, you know, willing to let others help him and give him credit. So that's a sign of, of, of real, you know, real acumen. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of people in, like, the cutthroat Hollywood world, especially in something like stand-up comedy, they would never it, – it's always me, 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 me. And, right. Um, and Jim Gaffigan mentioned this, too. He, he was – Greg was someone who was, like, not friends with someone because he could help his career. And he knew a lot of people who could help his career. And maybe if he was better friends with them, he would have – advance more quickly in in the Hollywood circles, but that didn't seem to be a big motivator for him. He was more about the comedy than than the glitz and glam. Right, right. More about the art and and the product he's putting out there than, right. And I think, you know, and I mean, you can comment because you've been doing this for so long. I think, you know, where do you find that happy medium? Because similarly, um, I would say I'm more like a Greg Geraldo. You know, I'm not someone who's showy. I, I don't like to, you know, boast about stuff. But again, that's also a downfall, you know, because that holds people back if you're not that person who's out there. So it's like, where do you, you find that happy medium, so oh, to speak? Yeah, I mean, you have to be really abrasive in some ways, but then right. So it's, it's strange because, um, you know, and especially people who are, you know, pretty much in any level of comedy you have people tell you they don't like you or you suck or whatever right. like, so in order to just to do it for more than like one day you have to be resilient <laughs> um, right but but then like you and i struggle with this too it's like i'm generally better promoting others than myself and mm-hmm. it's just because on one hand you have, you have to really believe in your material and yourself 
but if if you if you make it too much of a part of who you are, that next person that says you suck, you know, you might right. take it to heart, and you're like, well, maybe they're right, and and that's so asinine because you you never want to give a detractor that much power. So I, I I think it just comes with like almost any profession, just the emotional maturity to be able to roll with the punches, and right. have enough self confidence to to you know, eventually it becomes more about who's into me. You're not. So be it. You know, not, right. you know, That's I don't fine. think anyone right. still li- likes criticism, but you know, it's like you get to a point where it's like, whatever, then don't, then don't come to my show. If I'm not your cup of tea, right. that's, that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to convert everyone, but, and then it's like finding those people that connect with you. And then I, I think it's, it's finding your own voice, but it's, it's, you know, I can say it here pretty easily, but you know, living it and, 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 you know, acting it out in real life is, is very difficult. Right. Right, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, I lived in LA a long time, and sadly, some of the people, more more on like the acting side, who were in many ways just kind of like very shallow individuals, can really do well because they, they will step on anyone. Um, right. And and I think you know you'd like to think, oh well, goodness is always rewarded. I think in in entertainment that's not always true. Um, no. You can be an able yeah, and get really far. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And well, I think, and I think, you know, we won't, we can talk off the air, but I think you can see that in other professions too. I'm sure you've seen it in your oh, yeah, investment yeah. world. You know what I mean? And, and I've definitely seen it in my world and yeah, it's just, it's sad because I do, I do like to be an, an honest, like authentic person and, you know, do good things for people and help people out. And again, that's why I have the podcast. Um, that's why I do publicity work, which I had never done until two years ago for one of the bands I was interviewing and I, I was really passionate about their music and I literally hit them up and we had a conversation and they were, you know, more than pleased to take someone again, who would come on board and, and do a lot of the legwork for them to help them get their name out there. So I think I'm in the, the boat like That's you so are, Matt, where so I, awesome. thanks, but I have a tendency again, like you said, you do to, it's easier for me to help people sometimes then to do what I need to for myself. And that's, and probably that's my psychology right. background too. Well, um, and, and I want to like contextualize it. I think probably like in terms of like humanity, I probably have much more of an ego or at least much more self-centered than, than most. Um, I would just say that candidly, but I think within comedy, I'm probably more in the 50th percentile range, you know, where, where it's like, you know, there, there are some who right. just can, can, Self-promote, self-promote. So, I mean, it, it, we're, we're in a very narrow cross-section of egomaniacs. And, and I guess within that cross-section, I'm one of the more normal, but, you know, maybe in the whole... Yeah, like, you don't, I mean, you know, again, you don't come across to me... Not. Right, you don't come across at all as someone who's, you know, extremely arrogant or, you know, narcissistic or something like that. I don't, you know, again... If if you say outside well, a little you, bit, thank you. Maybe comedy, I'd, be, but... I'd, I'd be higher up in the comedy ranks if I was, but thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so let's do this because, like I said, I could probably go another hour with you, but I want, don't want to keep you all night. Yeah, talk a little bit about you know what are some things that you have in the works coming up. Um, you know, what are some things that you see in your future with with comedy or with acting? Any more, you know, writing that you're doing um, just to promote yourself. Yeah, thank thank you. Um, a few things we're having, gosh, any day now, or really any week now, we we have an audio version of 
uh, Greg Giraldo, a comedian story coming out. It'll be on Audible, and I'll promote it um, heavily on, on all the social media outlets. And I'm also in talks with, and it looks like it'll happen, but there's this um, veterans charity where we're going to start producing and doing a, a lot of live comedy shows, initially in Southern California, and I'm going to be involved with that. And um, we, we may do um, a movie version um, of, of this book. Uh, it's going to be ten, a 10-year wow. anniversary of his passing next year. Um, okay. And then we'll, I'll, I'll continue to do stand-up. And, and you know, it's, it's nice because um, through promoting this book, I'm doing more touring and, and more, more road work. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's also introduced me to people like you. And actually, the, uh, uh, this veterans charity was someone I met through doing a different interview who, who just connected me. So it's, it's really opening doors. And, um, you know, I think, you know, so maybe in the near future, I'll do more, more veterans-related work, um, but also continuing to, uh, to write books. There's, there's some ideas. I, I don't want to say them out loud yet because sure. no, you know, I there's, some paper, there's some paperwork we'd have to do. But Absolutely. I could see another, um, another bio, at least – uh, we'll begin working on it probably next year. Another like by, another like similar that. type of thing like this. Possibly yes, yeah. Possibly oh, interesting. But, but, okay. But with a live subject, yeah, with a live subject. Oh okay, okay, okay. No, that's great. No, I mean you got a lot of great stuff in the works. I mean congratulations, you know, on this book and and celebrating Greg. Um, and of course. You know, please let people know again where they can find it, um, the social media sites that people can follow the book on. Sure. The website is greggeraldobook.com, and all the social media handles are the same. It's at Greg Giraldo Book. Um, so you can, you can purchase books through Amazon. That's, that's the easy way. And, and you can always hit me up on any of those accounts, and um, I'm happy to chat with whoever's out there. That's great. No, really, really cool stuff that you're doing, Matt. Um, and that's awesome that you might get involved in, with some veteran stuff too. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, definitely need a lot of that out there to support them. Oh yeah, so. and, and they're they're not only good people, but uh, hell of an audience too. Very little mm-hmm. offense them, as, as you would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's great. Yeah, they definitely need the comedy too. I'm sure that's a huge coping mechanism <laughs> for them. You know, just to laugh. Um, so oh, no, yeah. it's great. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. It was a, an amazing interview with you. I learned a tremendous amount about you and, and about Greg and everything you're up to, so thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you, Carrie, and, and my hat's off to what you're doing. I think it's, it's admirable, and I'm, I'm going to actively spread the word about you and your podcast. So, uh, Thank I'm, you uh, so much. I'm honored to meet you. Yeah, you too, and let's definitely keep in touch because, like you said, it's just nice to meet people in the industry that you, you connect with and who knows, maybe there's some ways that we can help each other out down the road too. Absolutely. I'd love that. Okay. All right. Thank you so much again, Matt, and good luck with the book and with your stand up and everything else going on. And of course you're more than welcome to come back on in the future when you have uh, some other stuff to promote. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay, great. Take care, Matt. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, again, Matt Balaker, and he came on tonight to promote uh, Greg Giraldo's book that he wrote, which is called Greg Greg Giraldo, A Comedian Story. So like you said, pick it up. You can go to greggiraldobook.com and also all the different handles on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Greg Giraldo Book. So 
great interview. If for some reason you tuned in a little late, the podcast will be available. I would say give it about a half hour to uh, get updated. Um, and then you can download it on the Blog Talk Radio or you can download it on iTunes. Um, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, follow me, please, at Carrie Edelman on Instagram and at Carrie Edelman on Twitter. And the Carrie Edelman Show, please like it on Facebook. I will be posting upcoming interviews that I will be having in the future. None, 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 no direct ones right now, um, but I do have some people in mind that I'm going to be um, reaching out to. Thanks again for the continued support and have a great night.